hosted on dimlywit.com. I'm Alex. And I'm Tina. And this is Obsessed Obsessed with the Best. We're two New York City gals who are bringing you the best of the best of all things beauty, wellness, and inspirational women. We've tried it all and can't wait to tell you what's worth obsessing over. Join us each week as we share our favorite products and trends and chat with leading female founders and experts. Welcome to Obsessed Obsessed with with the Best with with Alex and Tina. Tina. Hi, everyone. So if you are uncomfortable with sexual content under 18, or if you have kids in the car, this might not be the episode for you. Otherwise, please enjoy. Today on our show, we have psychotherapist Rachel Wright. She is recognized as one of the freshest voices on modern relationships, mental health, and sex. She's been featured as a regular contributor to Shape, Insider, In Style, and Cosmopolitan Magazine, among hundreds of other media outlets. I've been obsessed with Rachel for a while now. Her social media presence is so refreshing. She's open and honest and real while being educational, thoughtful, and inspiring. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Wright. Rachel, hi. It's so good to see you. So good to see you. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Yay. We're we are so happy to have you. Yes. You and I met, okay, like this summer? Was it this summer or was it this spring? Yeah. It was definitely still in the throes of COVID because yes. you were masked and I got to see half your face, which was yep. lovely. Yes. Happy to see I, the rest of it. I know. It's so nice to see have a, have a full face. But I remember, so you were doing a, a boudoir shoot, which was so incredible. And I got yeah. to do your makeup for it. And I remember meeting you and just being like blown away by your energy and your personality. And I was like, Alex, we got to get this gal on the pod. She's so, so cool. So I'm just, I'm like kind of fangirling a little bit that you're here today. I'm so excited. Thank you for that. And that was such a, um, that was such a special day. It was my first boudoir shoot and yeah, you saw me naked like right away. It was like, hi Tina, I'm Rachel. Here are my my boobs. Here are my boobs. It was very empowering. It was great. (laughs) It was awesome. And it was so empowering for me to watch and be there and experience that. And it was just such a celebration of like our bodies and and sensuality and it was an awesome day and the pictures turned out so awesome so I gotta I really have started to actually recommend boudoir shoots for people just as a way to step into their own their own sexuality instead Mm of in our world so many other people it feels like they own our sexuality whether it's a partner or a family member or a religion like there's someone else or something else that owns us and doing something like a boudoir shoot is just about you. And it's yeah. such, oh, it, so I can't even speak to the psychological benefits that came from that, let alone the gorgeous photos. <laughs> I yes. mean, I actually totally agree with this because I think people think boudoir, they think of a very specific thing, like black leather, like big hair, fake eye, but like it really, I feel like it just needs a rebrand because it's just what is sexy to you. Like it could be like a band t-shirt and some cute cheeky underwear. Could be just like a bra showing through a white tee with like jean shorts. It could be black and white. It could be a million different things. And I've definitely gotten some of these photos done. And I think that it's something you will never regret. You will never regret getting glammed up or not, or getting glammed down, like whatever it is, whatever is sexy to you, capturing it. And then what? You have beautiful photos of yourself 10 years later. Like it's something you will never forget. I recommend it to everyone. I fully agree. 
Totally. And I, there's a part of my body, the back of my thighs, like right underneath my butt, I have always been so self-conscious of, and we shot that in the shoot. And when the photos came in, I was like, oh God, oh fuck. Oh God, I got to look at them. And it was this really like, and I don't, I'm not someone who would say like, I have body image stuff. It's like one of the only things I haven't dealt with in my life, but I was terrified to look at them. And then I looked at them and I was like, why am I so insecure about that? And it was this moment of like reality kind of hitting you in the face instead of just kind of looking in the mirror and having that like in the moment, it's really like, oh, wow, this is what it, this is what I look like. And it's so, oh, it was amazing. Yeah. Exactly. It kind of, it's like, and- takes the air out, you know, to just face it. Yes. Yeah. And also like, it's a moment when maybe you're not looking at yourself in a dressing room with overhead lighting or in an airport airplane bathroom with bad lighting. It's like, you're looking at yourself on a day when you feel good and we all need that. Yes, truly. I made a a little book of them in my phone so that when I'm feeling really low or like, ugh, I feel so fat on my period, you know, whatever's going on, I will pick it up and be like, look at my hot self. (laughs) I love that. I love that. That's so cool. So Rachel, you're an expert in this, this field of like body confidence and and sensuality and sexuality. What, what would you say is, what would you define body confidence as? And and why is it complicated? Oh, oh man. Body confidence is so complicated. We get so many messages to have body positivity. And to me, that is very much in the same line as toxic positivity, because it's just adding blanket, like, I love my body. It's amazing. And if we don't actually feel that, then we're lying to ourselves. And then that actually decreases confidence because how we build confidence is being honest with ourselves and knowing that nothing's ever perfect. So if we can get to a place of body acceptance and gratitude, like, thank you for carrying me through every day. Thank you for showing up in this podcast right now. You know, thank you for, for existing and digesting food and walking. Then when we add on the, and I know I'm not going to ever be quote unquote perfect because there is no quote unquote perfect. That's body confidence. Oh, I love that. I love that. I completely agree. I've been learning a lot about toxic positivity and thinking a lot about toxic positivity. And I do feel like the generations before us and their attempt to kind of like learn about mental health and take care of themselves, they really skipped over the part of let's feel our feelings and move through them. And they skipped to everything's fine. Everything's fine. Like I know just the generation before us of women, they really jumped to that where we kind of have learned, okay, wait, you have to have a level of acceptance and a level of, then you have to move through your grief or you have to move through the pain. And then in a few weeks, maybe you'll probably be at the point of, I feel positive about this, but you you can't just flip a switch. No. And it's, it's kind of like the old saying, like feel the fear and do it anyway. That's great. Kind of, but it's missing exactly what you were talking about, Alex, which is the feel the fear, move through the fear and then do the thing. Cause if we just shove ourselves off a cliff, that's, that can be very traumatic. Exactly. Um, I love Dak Shepard's podcast, Armchair Expert. And he talks a lot about how he and Kristen parent their children and they are both in therapy. They've had couples therapy. They're like really believe in therapy. And they're always like, well, you take your car into the shop to get a tune up. You, you know, redo your house. Why aren't you tuning up your mental health? So anyway, he talks about parenting and with his little girls when they're mad and they're frustrated and they're, they're having a tantrum. 
they'll say, okay, why don't you just go in your room, feel your feelings for a while. They're valid. Go punch a pillow, scream, do whatever you need to do, and then we'll yes. talk. And it's just so interesting of like a new generation of being, of giving that space to feel your feelings. And then we'll, t- yes. then we'll talk about it as opposed to you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Yes. And I see so many parents do this. And it's just like you were saying, Alex, it's it's a positive attempt to let them feel okay. Like it's coming from a good place. But when we tell our kids over and over again, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. It's telling them your feelings are not valid. Your feelings are not valid. Your feelings are not valid. And then they turn into adults that have this sensation of, I have to be fine. I can't go to my room and feel my feelings because that neural pathway was never built. And then we feel like something's wrong with us and we're told we're sensitive and we have too many emotions and we can't handle them. And it's like, what do you mean? I'm just feeling things. And it's, it's very, um, when we give our kids the space, our partners, the space, it helps us all process and move through it. Right. Every generation is just going to keep learning something new. You know, our kids will be telling us about how, you know, we didn't do something correctly. Um, Exactly. Exactly. We're probably feeding them poison or right. like, exactly. you know, who exactly. knows? We're, <laughs> who knows? We're doing something wrong. Right. Yeah, so always. you specifically work around body consciousness, sex, everything under that umbrella with clients. Can you describe a little bit more about what you do? And then also what's the most common concern that people come to you with? Yeah. Oh man. So that's evolved over the years. Um, I started out as a, what I like to call run of the mill therapist, um, you know, like anxiety, depression, like all the greatest hits. Um, and it, <laughs> it, it took a little while for me to niche down and figure out where my zone of genius was and not just what I could do. And I think that that's for a lot of us, no matter what industry we're in, it's like, we want to be able to do all of the things underneath that umbrella. And it takes a little bit to figure out like, oh, I actually am even better in this area. And I need to like, let the other person who's even better at this other area, take those people. Um, And so as I evolved myself and did more and more personal work internally and started living my life as honest as I could, my clientele started evolving, which makes sense. So now I see a variety of clients, um, couples, individuals. I really work at the intersection of mental health, sex, and relationships and where those all overlap. So people will often come in with a sex thing because that's what gets them in the door, but it's never a sex thing. Cause the first thing I'll have them go do is get a medical assessment from their doctor and make sure everything is like physiologically quote unquote working properly and hormones are balanced and all that stuff. And then ultimately, you know, nine out of 10 times they come back and they're a clean bill of health. And I'm like, cool, let's talk about your feelings. (laughs) So it really always circles back to the same work in a way. Um, but the people who wind up coming to me usually are struggling in some form of relationship or with their sex life, whether that is with themselves, with a partner, um, or they're unhappy in their relationship or not communicating well. You know, I find myself teaching like healthy communication 101 because we didn't get that. And so people are like, how do I express that I'm sad without blaming my partner? Or why, when I express when I'm sad, my partner gets defensive. Like all of these things that happen consistently, that's kind of the stuff that 
people wind up coming to me for. Um, and then more recently, couples have been coming to me to help them open up their relationships. Um, I practice ethical non-monogamy and I identify as polyamorous, like in terms of how I'm wired, I'm just as much bisexual redhead polyamorous. <laughs> and like, that's how, that's how ingrained it is in me. And so a lot of couples come to me for support around that process. Um, and monogamous couples who have chosen conscious monogamy will often come to me because they know that the way that I approach things is not from a monogamy is your only option. Even if you don't ever practice non-monogamy, I'm not coming from like that tunnel vision lens. Um, whereas a lot of people are just because that's our society, right? Like monogamy is more assumed than waking up tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, it really exactly. is. Especially so, in this country. And I know mm -hmm. the other countries have a little bit of a different view, but in America, it's been this very, you know, if you are not monogamous and married until the day that you die, the marriage has failed. Yeah. Definition and, or the relationship. And I know, you know, there's a lot of people like you and also Esther Perel is one of my favorites who are kind yes. of challenging. Okay. Is it a failure? You know, is that really true? Are there other options? It's very interesting. Yeah, it's there's a book called Poly Secure, and the the author Jessica Fern talks about how um, we get attached to monogamy instead of being attached to our person. And so, if we attach to monogamy as a concept, we get so scared when that concept gets torn away that the the attachment isn't actually between us and the other human. It's between us and the idea that that human isn't going to go anywhere, no matter what. And that creates a really yucky environment over mm -hmm. time, right? It's a really different mentality coming at relationships. Like I'm going to choose this every day versus, well, we got married one time when I was 20 something. So <laughs> therefore I cannot see a penis again, mm -hmm. other than yours. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like what? What? Oh my God. Well, and so you, you are married um, and you just got engaged. Yes. Right. Yes. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah I'd love for you to kind of walk us through maybe like how you realized this about yourself and then kind of how it's working now. Yeah. And also congratulations oh. on your engagement. Yeah, exactly. Thank congratulations. You. Thank you. Oh, it's wild. I'm like blushing even having you say it. It's very, it's like reliving an adolescence coming out as that. Polly and like going <laughs> through all of this again. So I feel like I'm like 21 and I'm like, ah, she said yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so I, looking back, I reread my diaries from high school, um, maybe like three years ago. And I found entry upon entry upon entry that was, I'm dating this person and I have a crush on that person. And of course these were all drama kids, right? Like I grew up mm -hmm. in theater. So we were all like laying on each other anyway. There was, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And we know yeah. Tina and I <laughs> oh, yes. know the drill. Yes. So in these entries, it's like, I don't understand why I have to break up with this person to make out with that person, because I don't want to date that person. I just want to see what it's like to kiss them. I really love this person and I don't get it. And then it says like, I'm such a slut. And oh. the, reading this over and over again, it's so clear that this little 14 year old was this like little poly girl that was like, why can't I kiss other people and just tell you? And it's, there were so many self depreciating things. And it wasn't until I was in my early twenties, when I met Kyle, my now husband on our first date, he was like, you know, monogamy is so weird, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, 
it's really weird. And we had agreed on our first date that if we started dating, which we did, that we would come back and kind of reassess if we wanted to be continually monogamous. And so from the beginning, it felt like I was choosing it finally, instead of someone else telling me like, that's what you have to do. The analogy that I give people who've never experienced this is like, someone took me to a food from around the world buffet in Las Vegas and was like, okay, you have to choose one country and then eat that food for six months. Because if you don't, you're going to be a whore. You know, and I think a lot of people feel like this. And the other thing about this is that you're making an active choice and it's consensual. I know yes. people who cannot be monogamous to save their lives. They've cheated on every single person they've dated since they were 13 and ruined marriages and ruined relationships because it's all been secrets and lies. Yes. Well, maybe like there's a healthier choice if you know that about yourself and if it's never worked for you and if it can't work for you, maybe there's a healthier choice. Yes. And that's what ethical non-monogamy is all about. So I didn't learn what ethical non-monogamy was until I was in my master's program, which is insane because yeah. I literally had to go to higher education to find out that I wasn't a slut for thinking about making out with this other guy in drama. I yeah. mean, it was, it was such a moment of, oh, I'm not insane. Okay. And I started seeing clients that were throuples and that were open and had different arrangements. And then I learned that like 80, this is not an accurate statistic, but like 80-ish <laughs> percent of gay men are in open relationships. Mm -hmm. And that's not discussed publicly either because there's still a stigma around it. So figuring out this for myself, Kyle and I would check in. I'd be like, no, I'm good. This is good. We're fine. And finally, one day we... <laughs> We saw the prom on Broadway and uh, Kyle's cousin was in it. And it really resonated with me watching this main character navigate feeling so different. And I was like, ooh, a little like teenage part of me was feeling this. And we came home that night and I was like, Kyle, I, how would you feel if we learned a little bit more about ethical non-monogamy and like maybe took a step? And, and how many years have you been married when you had this conversation? So we met in 2011. We got married in 2016. Um, so we had been married okay. for three years and together for like seven or eight. Um, got it. Yeah. And we did it. We, we started doing it and it was clumsy and weird. And the first person that I kissed, I almost threw up and like, ran out of the room and called Kyle and was like, are we okay? Is everything okay? And I'm like, yep. geez, even like, even me who had been feeling this my entire life and understood what it was, I was still freaking out about this idea of, did I do something wrong? Have I lost and what my were like the first steps? Like, how did you even make it to the point where they, like, was it like, okay, one night a week? Or then how did you meet the people? Like what were like the first baby steps. So the very, very first thing that we did was reread The Ethical Slut, um, which is a book that I recommend for literally every human, regardless of whether or not you identify with- I'm writing this down. It, <laughs> it is written by a sex educator and a sex therapist. And it is really about the human experience and reclaiming the word slut. And 
it, you know, their definition is like the radical idea that we like sex and like want to have it <laughs> is what a slut yeah. is. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I can, you can call me that now. That's fine. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Reclaiming. So yes. We, I love that. Yeah. So we reread that. And then I, we had a friend who had just also taken this step and she recommended a podcast called multi-amory and an app called Field, which is like a dating app for non-traditional anything. It's like kinky okay. people, like really sex positive people, lots of uh, ethical non-monogamous people. Um, so we went on and we, I was speaking at an event that weekend and I'll never forget that first night we were laying in bed and we were both on field messaging people next to each other. And we just busted up laughing and we're like, this is so fun. It was so fun. And Kyle's like, can I show you what I said to this person? And I'm like, yeah, I think so. Like, yes, I, yes, I do. I want to see it. And then I'm like, do you want to see what I'm saying? And, you know, we started sharing and watching him step into this like flirty person again. I was like very attracted. And all of a sudden I'm like, let's put down our phones. <laughs> I need you now. <laughs> Yes. Wow. And that was like, going to be my next question is how did it affect your sex life? Like you felt like there was a, a different spark again. Totally. It was not poor before by any means. Right. But there was like a, a new sprinkle of something. It, it felt like a little fairy came in and was like, here's some horny <gasps> dust from when you were 16. Yes. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> well, it's like, it's a, it's another level of intimacy that where you guys can share this. It's not a secret. It's not dirty. It's not bad. There's nothing wrong. It's openness. And you guys are being so open. And it's, you're un it's like unlocking another level that you can't yes. achieve with anything else. No, no. And we don't ever get to see this side of our partner in right. monogamous relationships because we only see the version that they bring us. And then that's it if that's we're so together. Yeah, so right. it's a really interesting thing to see your partner, especially for me after so many years, mm -hmm. like he was so awkward and rusty and I was awkward. And like it, the first person I talked to, I ended up dating for six months. It was the very first person I messaged. And I was like, this app thing is so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Learned, learned later. Yeah. Yes. Um, but it was wonderful. He was somebody who was in theater and Kyle's not. And so I was able to like share my background with someone else. And we dated for a while and it was great. We would meet up every couple weeks at a hotel and have a sleepover. And we had like our little dinner at the hotel, like breakfast routine. And he would call the gift shop, our pantry, you know, <laughs> like it, it was, so it was so fun. And we dated separately for a while and like would take, you know, just little steps. Like first it was hanging out in the afternoon. Then it was, okay, a month has gone by. How do you feel about a sleepover? Kind of how any relationship would progress, but just really right. checking in with the other and person or other people. So on this sleepover night, is your husband also having a sleepover? Like, do you try to set it up so that these are happening on the same night? Or were there times where one person was home, the other person was on a date, and was that difficult? Yes and yes. 
<laughs> both both have happened. Um, we both we at the beginning we really tried to have plans when the other person was going out because staying at home it is so easy to get into your head and be like, of what are they doing right now? Mm-hmm. What are I'm I'm not getting this thing that they're doing with this other person, right? And the the shift there that I had to make was if he were out with friends, would I feel anything being at home by myself? And the answer was no. So I was like, okay, I feel fulfilled sexually. So I'm not jealous or envious that, you know, he's giving that potentially. And then I realized that the discomfort was just because it was new when I really unpacked it, even though at, on the surface, it was like, well, of course I'm anxious. He's could be fucking someone else. <laughs> like that was the narrative that I gave myself. But really when I sat and, and unpacked it and took it apart. And like we were talking about earlier, like felt through it instead of just acting, I realized that I, I was just uncomfortable because it was new and that's okay. And so I've gained, and Kyle has gained a huge tolerance for discomfort, not in a way of, um, doing something that you don't want to do, but doing something that you do want to do, even though you're uncomfortable. And that's something Uh that we also don't really learn as kids, right? When we're uncomfortable, people like to pull us out of situations as kids. It's like, oh, you're expressing discomfort comes, come relax. Come here. I got you. Exactly. So that was a huge lesson. Can you tell us now you're a few years in? You have more established relationships. You've kind of made some choices. Can you walk us through how that all works for you currently? Yes. I did not know that my life right now would be my life right now. I had zero intention when we opened up to add to my primary partner list. You know, I, it was very much like me and Kyle, and then we'll go out. And at the beginning of COVID in March, we met Ashley and Yair, and we started going on distance dates with them, sat six feet apart outside for two months. Okay, so we did not They're touch. another established couple. Yes. Got it. We were also practicing E&M. Okay. And we met, started dating and fell completely in love. Like all of us. Uh, Kyle and Yair are not romantically or sexually involved, but they are the best of friends and consider each other partners because of how intimate all of our lives are together now. Um, but that's the number one question I get because people are very curious. So Kyle is your husband and how do you pronounce? Yair. It's Hebrew. So it's like, yeah. Oh, Yair. Okay. Got it. They're both heterosexual men. Correct. Kyle's bisexual. Got he it. is bisexual, but he is not attracted or interested in Yair in that way. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now I, I just, I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So they are partners kind of in life to consider, yes. like, cons- they consider themselves, but not romantically. Yes. And then okay. I am partners with Kyle, Ashley, and Yair. And Ashley's partners with all three of us. And then the boys each have the two of us girls and each other. It's friends. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. So, and you just recently got engaged to Ashley. Yes. So I tell us to Ashley about that. You know, we started living together. And as much as I despise the relationship escalator, which is like, you know, flirt, date, start dating exclusively, move in together, get engaged, get married, have kids. And then like the escalator falls off and you die. (laughs) That's the end. Pretty much. Yeah. I, as much as I despise it, I wanted to give Ashley the reassurance in the language that we grew up with that I was in this for life. 
Um, so I decided to get a ring and surprise her and put my knee down on the ground and ask her if she wanted to spend her life with me. And she said, yes. And then the boys surprised us and we all had dinner. Um, and it was just, it was unbelievable. So we cannot legally get married. That's the other question I get asked. Um, as much as I wish I would marry all three. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also don't, you know, I'm not a religious person. So marriage is more of like a legal document and it, yeah, and it it's is more about it the is. verbal, the verbal promise yes. to you guys. Yes, exactly. So I am fully like, I have my head totally around, like it's, you cannot get everything from one person. I like, I'm in full support of this. Like, I'm so happy for you. The Thank thing you. that like, I want to understand. I'm very much like this in my real life. I'm like, what does your calendar look like? Like, that's always yes, my question yes. to everyone. Like, I'm fascinated by like, take me through your day hour by hour. But with, <laughs> but with you, I'm fascinated by the structure of this, like the actual structure of the week. Like, how do you plan who's spending time with who? When is it alone time? When is it group time? When you know, are there rules and structure around sex at all? I guess I'm really interested in the current logistics of it all. Absolutely. So yes, there is a calendar and it is a very detailed color-coded Google calendar. (laughs) Okay. This is what I want to know. I love this. Okay. Yes. And we make sure that we rotate in terms of time for dates and time for sleeping in the same bed, not necessarily sex, but just physically sharing a a bed with somebody else. Um, putting four people in a bed is really not comfortable to sleep. Right. Right. So we have to rotate, you know? And so we do that and it's kind of on there with like, take out cans and bottles tonight. It's like, you know, Rachel and Kyle in the pink room, like it's, and we just rotate. So almost it's basically like if I were to have Kyle tonight to sleep next to, maybe tomorrow I would have Ashley, then I'd have Yair and then rinse and repeat. And then every once in a while, somebody's like, I would really love to sleep by myself. And the other three people are like, sweet sleepover. Okay. Um, so that's how sleeping works. It's a lot less complicated than you'd think. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm so happy you're saying this because I do think that if there's someone out there that hasn't really talked to someone like you or read about this, they might think it's some sort of like free for all orgy situation. And I, I mean, I I had a feeling you were going to say when I asked the question, you know, there's a calendar involved. There's, there's thought behind it. It's, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm glad you're laying this out for us. Yeah. Thank you for asking. And you know, you asked about rules and I, I love this question. We don't, rules are like, rules are set above us and agreements are between people. So we have a lot of agreements. We don't have rules. Um, And the way that we do that is being able to advocate for our own needs while still hearing and understanding everybody else's, which is ideally what happens in a monogamous two-person relationship too, right? Right. Like, okay, I'd like to go out with my friends a couple nights this week. I want to make sure we have a date night and I really want an alone night. Exactly. Oh my gosh. My husband and I, I, Tina was making fun of me the other day, but I was like, yeah, we have like these little mini meetings of like, especially working from home now, who's using what room when, when are we like going to put our computers out and have a date night? When are we doing chores? You know, so So same conversation, just add in extra help. Like instead of just you and one other person doing the laundry, it's like, oh, actually I have a shorter work week. Like I can take care of the dishes and laundry. No worries. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, yeah, that's great. Thank you. (laughs) 
Now, are you all living together now? Because when I when I met you, you weren't you were living separately, and we are living together now. You are congratulations. Yes. That's okay. Thank that's you. so cool. And I yeah. I remember you speaking on sort of a future life, you know, envisioning your life. And I remember you saying you wanted to live all four together and have children. Is that yeah. is that still uh, yeah. on the table? And and how would that work? So very similar to a blended family. Mm -hmm. The child will have a lot of loving parents. Um, how it works biologically, we are not sure yet. Um, the idea of having four kids in order to like allow each uh, hetero match to like procreate uh -huh. sounds really intense and mm -hmm. not super great. Especially and at the same City. time, yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. Like eight of, could you imagine eight? We're like a party oh of God. eight no. anywhere we go. Like. <laughs> on the subway mayhem and oh god we saw four kids walk on the train the other day and kyle was like babe look so many it's so many <laughs> so no, many like, how about two <clears throat> two sounds great yeah <laughs> exactly exactly so we're not sure on the logistics there and of course you know ashley and i have been trying to not get pregnant for all of the years of our life so mm -hmm. we actually don't know what's going to happen when we try to get pregnant so that that could affect everything right um but we're laying the foundation to be able to have these conversations and have the hard conversations and we've already addressed it even though it's you know, a year or so out. Yeah. Um, but it's exciting. You know, can you imagine so having exciting. three other people to change a diaper? No, it's oh. literally the village. Brilliant. The child will have a village. And this is yes. what I just want to say really quickly to anyone who might be listening right now who's feeling a little judgmental or uh, is the child would have a village. You are all completely in this coming from love. It's consensual. It's mm -hmm. really well thought out with a lot of intention and everyone should do what they want to do to be happy. If you, if this isn't for you, be in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. No one's telling you you have to do anything like you're yep. doing what makes you happy and what makes your partners happy. Yes. I, I got approached by someone the other day who introduced themselves as working on the antithesis of what I stand for. And I was like, what do you mean? What? And she goes, well, I help, I help couples stay together. And I was like, okay, that's great. But see, that's the thing. That's great. And if that couple, if that's what they want and they're in a rough patch, that's great for them. It's like, what's great for someone else? Go do that. What's great for you. You should do whatever that is. And, and as a therapist, like, I would never, just like I wouldn't push my political, religious, or other beliefs onto my client, just, just because this is right for me, it does not mean it is right for every client that walks into my, you know, office, whether that's physically or on zoom, like that, it was so jarring to hear that. I was like, do you think that because I practice ethical non-monogamy that I don't think monogamy is positive for people. And she was like, yeah. Wow. And wow. I'm like, that's really interesting. Like there's so many assumptions there. And we wound up having this incredible conversation and like really got to the, the heart of things. But there was this idea that it was threatening to monogamy. And that's where I come back to what are we attached to? 
are we attached well, to our partner or are we attached to the idea of monogamy? A lot of people in this country are attached to the idea, which is why, I mean, take it back a step, a few steps. People in this country are so threatened by gay marriage, which is something I will never understand. You don't have never. to be gay. You don't have to get married. You, But because someone else found love and is doing it in a different way, it doesn't mean you still can't do it your way. But yes. people in America are very, very threatened and they feel like any kind of diversion from the norm threatens the American family unit. And I don't yeah. really know where that comes. I mean, I, it comes from years and years and years of things, but it's it's just not true. Well, and it seems no. like there's this like underlying shame. It, like People... I'm gonna I'm gonna do a real blanket statement here, but the 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 threat of gay marriage or polyamory on monogamy is, in my mind, has to do with sex and the shame. And, and people have this misconception that it's all about sex. It's only about sex, and sex is dirty, and sex is a sin. And because we've been trained, you know, it goes back to the being being a slut for for yeah. craving something outside of what we've been conditioned to know and want. So yeah. it, yeah, I just it, it, I love how you speak on you know it's it's we got we have to we sleep together in the same bed. We make time for each other. And other it's it's not about sex it's not if it was that's great too but it's not some dirty word or or wrongdoing and people put that there hi i'm david and i'm liz Hey, Liz, are you schmat? I'm pretty schmat. Are you schmat? Not as schmat as I'm going to be after I listen to an episode of Learn a Little. Learn a Little? That's a stupid podcast for smart people. It sure is. Every episode, Liz and I each take a random Wikipedia article and teach the other person about it. We could be learning about anything, from the politics of West African islands to Olympic gold medalists from New Jersey. Then we quiz each other to see who wins each episode and who gets to wear the crown of schmat. So far, I have not yet won. So come laugh along and learn a little with new episodes every other Friday. Hosted by Dimly Wit and Background Joys, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Learn a little, a stupid podcast for schmat people. <laughs> schmat. <laughs> have this shame, have this fear around sex. So can we talk a little bit about how you help women kind of break free and liberate themselves from that? Oh, yes. (laughs) So much comes back to lack of education. So much comes back to lack of education. We are not taught our anatomy for pleasure. We're only taught our anatomy for procreation. So that is already at a very young age, a message of this is what this part of your body is for blanket. And most parents for a very good reason, if they see their kid touching their genitals in public will immediately tell them to stop and often have a very embarrassed response. And what happens then is that a child, even as young as months old, learns it's shameful to have my hand in my diaper or in my underwear. And that then stops that teenager from exploring masturbation. That then stops that same adult from knowing what brings them pleasure. And then all of a sudden, they're in a romantic relationship and they're supposed to be able to communicate what they like and tell this other person. They're like, I've been shamed for having my hand in my pants since I was six months old. Like Mm -hmm. now I'm supposed to tell you to touch me this way. It's a jarring, jarring experience. And so the more that we can have compassion for our younger selves and start to heal from there, what did, what did you miss out on? And maybe the answer is nothing because some of us 
had a bit more freedom around sexuality, but most of us were very put into a, into a box. You know, what did you miss out on? Was it privacy? Did you have space to be alone? Maybe you missed out on masturbation as a teen. You were told it was dirty or, you know, not something that you do if you're X, Y, or Z. There, there is usually something, a gap in that sexual development. And that's where I like to come and start and start to have a conversation with that younger person that's still very much alive inside of all of us and ask her or, or they or him what they have to say, you know, and oftentimes that's where we figure out, okay, I'm not in touch with my body and I feel shame when I touch my body. So of course, when this other person touches my body, I have trouble being present. And so then we have to start with, let's get present in your body. Let's learn that anatomy for pleasure. Let's take time and create a container for you to be alone with yourself. You know, and even if that's like putting body oil on after a shower, staying naked for like five more minutes, then you may, and you know, not quickly put back on the clothes and go into like wife, dad, mom mode, whatever you're, you're doing and creating space to get to know yourself. And that immediately ripples out into our sexuality with whoever we're sharing it with. God, that resonates so hard with me. I grew up very much sheltered. Sex was never, sex was a dirty word. We were not allowed to say it. We weren't allowed to talk about it. If any Mm. sort of sexual thing happened on TV, it was cover your eyes. We didn't, we just didn't talk about it. And I was a part of a, a group in high school. Oh my God. It's like horrifying to think about now, but it was called PSI and it was called postponing sexual involvement. And I would go to middle schools on my lunch break and talk to children about abstinence and that how that was how to prevent, because it was so, it was such a dirty word. It was so, and so sex became this very, very scary. I've been scared of sex for a very long time. And I work, I've been working a lot in therapy, how to lift that fright off of it. But it goes back to, you know, childhood and how we talk about it and how or we don't talk about it. Um, And I'm curious, you know, for anyone listening that might be experiencing that shame. Still, I have so much shame around sex and so much fear around sex still as a 30, almost 34 year old woman. What how can we start to I mean, how can we start to unpack unpack that um, that fear? That's so so I've known you for so long. I don't I've never heard you quite articulate it like you just did like Mm. that. It's I fascinating. Anyway, I I can't wait to hear your response. Thank you for sharing that. First of all, Athena. And I I think that it makes a lot of sense. You know, you described the way that you were shielded from sex as though it was like something scary to not see, you know, you cover up Mm -hmm. your eyes during a horror movie. That's when you cover your eyes. So the fact that you created an association with fright and fear around it makes a lot of sense given the like No, don't. I'll protect you. Yeah. So one of the first things that you can do is start exposing yourself to more sex positivity and being really intentional about that. And this is one of the pros of social media that I really like is on Instagram and TikTok. Those two platforms specifically have really good sex therapists, sex educators, sexologists that create educational and fun content that will get you used to seeing like some someone's butt in your feed 
like literally like get used to seeing a bit more of sexual or sensual imagery in your day to day, because it takes it out of this, like, here's my whole life. And then here's sex over here in this other box. And that's often what we do when something is scary or shamey or something uncomfortable is we separate it out. And if we think about like our Instagram feed as this tiny little microcosm of our life, is there sex positivity in there? And for most people, that answer is no. It is for me. It's, I, I don't have it in there. And there is a little like judgmental devil on my shoulder when I do see things come across my feed that come across wow. as sexual. And I, I mean, cause I was ingrained, you know, it, it's the joke from Mean Girls. It's like, if you have sex, you will get pregnant and you will die. But I mean, yes. that's sort of how I was <laughs> raised. My dad was very much like, if you have sex, you will get AIDS and you will pass away. And it was like, he would leave pamphlets on my pillow about STDs and, the, oh. a, and people having sex. And if you have sex, you will get sick. And so I have that in my mind. And so I see, I'm being really, really honest here. Oh, I'm, thank I, you. But please, it's so, Tina, this is going to be so helpful to like so many women listening. Yeah. I hope so. But you know, but, but there is this, I have, a, there's a lot of judgment. So if I see a picture of a woman, you know, being open and vulnerable and sharing her body, my first filter is judgment. And I don't, I don't like that about myself, but I very much am like, how dare she? And that's not, that's not fair, you know, but it's that, cause that's all my baggage. That's all my shit that I'm holding. Well, and I want to validate that too, because I have mostly sexual, like sex positive accounts. And if I open up my Instagram while I'm like in line at the gas station or like at the bathroom sink, and I f- can feel someone else around me, I immediately am like, oh my God. And I have this moment of like, yeah. how dare I show someone this butt? Like, yeah. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. Like I'm not at Chuck E. Cheese. It's like all adults around. It's totally okay. And it's on Instagram for goodness sake. Like it's, it's still censored. So it's not like, I'm not watching porn and being like, oh no, someone's going to look at me. It's, but I, I get that too. And, and I didn't grow up with pamphlets on my bed, you know? So I, I really just want to validate like the overall sense of cultural shame that we put on sex as well. And no matter what the, what your upbringing was like, we all have a weird relationship with it because society has a weird relationship with it. And even something like Instagram as a great example of a microcosm, like what is allowed? What is not allowed? I'm a sex educator and therapist and I've gotten shadow banned and I'm, I'm posting like scientific things with like a cute doodle of a pretend penis. Like, Mm -hmm. well, Instagram is ridiculous. I got banned because I unfollowed too many people in the same day. So like (laughs) during COVID, during COVID, I was bored. I was like, Oh God, maybe I'll just unfollow people that don't bring me joy. I don't talk to anymore. It's like an activity today. I was on, I'm sitting on the couch and Sounds I right. got banned from Instagram for like oh. four days because they thought I was a robot or something. I did. I tried to appeal it. I tried everything. So anyway, Instagram's touchy. Yeah. Very touchy, but also a great example of how our culture views sex. It's like yeah. mm-hmm. Instagram is like literally the example of mm-hmm. we want it. It brings people to the platform. No, not that. Well, maybe that. I guess we'll allow this. Like they cannot figure out Mm-mm. what is quote unquote allowed and and appropriate for people. And at the end of the day, if a person's over 18, what are we talking about? Like right. it it doesn't matter. We have like my profile set to 18 and over. So if somebody adjusts their age and lies about their age, I can't control that. Just like a kid can sneak right. into an R-rated movie. Right. Sure. But like 
you still rate it R and the person's still checking IDs when they sell tickets. So like, yeah, due diligence is there, but it's wild. The, the things that, you know, I'll even get questions. I review sex toys for part of my job and I will often get questions like, you know, oh, are you going to post a video of you trying it? What? And I'm like, no, can we like zoom out for a second? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Can we just think about that for a hot second? Just a quick minute. Oh my God. Like, is your therapist going to post a video of themselves masturbating? Like, what are we talking about? People just have no idea how to, how to deal with it. No. Okay. So I would love to know. So say like Tina is your client or someone is mirroring, saying a very similar things to Tina about their childhood. What are a few homework assignments or things you, actionable things you would have them try? So I know. So yes, the sex positive Instagram feed. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Another one would be to create a weekly 25 minute container where you're alone with your body naked. Wow. You get to choose what happens. You can literally just lay on your bed nude. Mm -hmm. You can touch yourself. You could put lotion on, you could give yourself a foot rub, you could masturbate, or you could literally just lay there nude and stare at the ceiling and not look at yourself. But creating a container where the intention is, I am going to be with my beautiful naked self for 25 minutes. Wow. And doing that. Does that does sound hard. That sounds very hard. <laughs> Tell me what sounds hard about it. Oh, man. It sounds really scary, you know, vulnerable. It feels vulnerable, um, scary. And to be like alone with my thoughts and my body with nothing to, I create so many physical and mental barriers with my body right. and my sexuality. So to have that open and exposed is very scary. And also just like armor. I'm real. I'm sitting here thinking like I love, so I had a very, very different very different childhood from like my mom, we were, you brought about, you brought up about horror movies. She would always make us close our eyes if there was violence, but if there was sex, she'd be like, it's just human beings, bodies, like it's natural. So it was more of that. And she was very sex positive, but I also did go to a private Catholic all girl school where it was very much like abstinence only sex is bad. So I had mostly positive. <laughs> yeah. Super confusing, super confusing. But anyway, I'm sitting here thinking if you were to give me that assignment, like I love like what I'm thinking of now is like armor. I'm like, do I have to be like naked or can I wear my cute two piece set or like my cute um, like lingerie or like a cute robe or something like do I have can I wear some piece of of armor for for that assignment? That's what I was thinking. What I would ask is, what does that give you? I feel like I just get extremely judgy about my body. Like if we're being completely honest, oh, my stomach, not my favorite part. Do I have to look at that and be distracted? Or can I wear like cute underwear and then I won't think about it as much? So here's the gift in that moment. And we'll jump through since we're not like in a therapy session. The gift (laughs) of that moment is you don't have to look at your stomach and you realize that you don't have to have armor to make that choice that you can be naked and you can still have control. You can be vulnerable and still be comfortable in that Mm -hmm. discomfort. Mm -hmm. And it's those moments of, I don't want to look here. Okay. Don't. And it's like, oh shit. Wow. Where else am I putting on something or using something else instead of asking myself, can I redirect my attention? Right. And that's where this person. You got me, (laughs) Rachel. (laughs) 
You got got me there. I should just pay you a lot of money for what you just said. Yeah, I need, I mean, definitely. That's part of the work. I'm I'm in therapy too. That's definitely part of the work I'm currently doing. But you, that is so dead on. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. And I hope it resonates with other people too. Like it's, and really coming back to, you know, monogamy and non-monogamy and all of that there's this idea that we either lose that sense of control or we don't have that sense of control. And some people think that about both, right? Some people think that if you're monogamous, you don't have that control. And then other people think that if you're non-monogamous, then you don't have that control. And the whole point is we always do because it's us, right? It doesn't matter what structure we're in. It's still our eyes. We get to choose where they look. And we may not have control over that initial thought or the feeling that then comes right after it. We do have control over then what we do next. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Can you give us your ideal woman in peak sexual health and describe her? Like she's done tons of work. She is your idea of the perfect idea of amazing sexual health. Someone who knows what she likes and what she doesn't like. Someone who is curious and willing to explore and know that those tastes may change. Just like how sometimes we don't like a food when we're younger and then evolve to really love it. Same thing. Our sexual preferences change all the time. Um, Someone who understands sexual health so that they're not worried about STIs for no reason or that they're, you know, they have the real facts and that what is taking up the brain bandwidth is not rhetoric or false information that they were given kind of like the mean girls line, right? Like, uh, I would also say, you know, I define sex as a meaningful experience of pleasure. And I would say that if there's a bigger concept, you know, you maybe not that exact definition, whatever resonates for you, but the concept that sex is not just a penis going inside of a vagina, like that is one form of sex that is intercourse. That is not sex. That's just one type of many. Um, and someone who talks about it with their friends and who is learning, who allows, if it is something that they really enjoy, they allow it to be a hobby. You know, we're so proud of our other hobbies. We're like, I craft, look at my craft closet. And it's like, what if we were like, I love sex. Look at my closet of sex toys. Like, why is that any different? There's no difference. It is a self-activity, maybe shared with someone else. If you want, same thing with crafting, that you collect different tools and they do different things and you like certain things. You're in the mood for this one over another. It's the same thing. So someone who can own that for themselves. And I also just want to name, not everybody is allosexual, meaning not everybody craves sex. There are a lot of folks on the asexual spectrum and part of a sexually healthy person is knowing where you are on those spectrums. And so there can be an asexual identifying human in a monogamous relationship or in a non-monogamous relationship. It really, it doesn't matter whether you're allosexual or asexual to me or to anybody else. Can you define allosexual and asexual super quick, just in case anyone is wondering? Yes. Yes. So asexual broad definition is not having a desire for sex or a need for sex. It's not experiencing that, um, that hunger, you know, feeling horny, feeling sexual is just like feeling hungry or thirsty. It's our body being like, I want this thing. 
And just like how we know, oh, I'm thirsty for water. Oh, I'm thirsty for seltzer. Oh, I'm, I'm thirsty for a martini. We start to then know I'm horny for this. I I'm craving this person. I want this sex act. I want this time alone, that type of thing. Just like we pick off of a menu. An allosexual person is what most people consider quote unquote normal. And I don't, I use that in quotes because we're really trying. The reason why the word allosexual is now floating around is because there has been an assumption that everyone is cisgender, heterosexual, and allosexual. And that's just, we know that that's not true. So allosexual is experiencing sexual desire and needing sex and wanting sex. And that is the assumption of every person, right? You hear things like, well, everybody wants sex or all men want sex. Could you imagine being an asexual, heterosexual, cisgender male? And the shame that must come from that, getting messages that like, oh, you're just walking around all horny all the time. And they're like, I actually haven't felt anything like that. So not everybody is allosexual. And that's, I think that that's also really important to remember. Wow. Thank you for explaining that. That makes a lot of sense. So much of what you're saying and so much of our optimal physical and sexual and mental health comes down to education and we're just not educated enough. So can you just give us a few, you are a huge resource, but besides you, is there just books, podcasts? I know you rattle off a few, but are there a few off the top of your head? Yeah. uh, There's an account on Instagram called Queer Sex Therapy. It's run by a, a therapist named Casey Tanner. And I trust her so much. Um, I really trust her content and I, I refer people to her a lot to follow and to learn. Um, I would also recommend following Gabrielle Cassell. Um, she is a sex educator and journalist who is a lesbian and considers herself a bisexual dyke. And I, I, when I first heard that, I was like, wait, is that like, I'm a rose daisy? Like, I was like, I don't understand. What does that mean? (laughs) Two things. And I learned so much from her about the history of the word dyke and like all of this stuff and how she was reclaimed. Anyway, she is a wealth of knowledge. Um, and she co-creates and teaches a lot of the workshops that I do with me too. Um, so she's just, I, I adore her. Oh, that is amazing. Amazing. Um, oh my gosh. Thank you so much for those resources. So before yeah. we kind of wrap wrap it up, we've got some rapid fire questions for you. Just we want to know oh, a little bit it. more about Rachel. Um, what's your favorite cocktail? Oh, okay. I have two. Great. Okay. A very dirty martini with blue cheese stuffed olives. Oh, that's so, good. so me. Have you had and the ones Gina. from Capitol Grill? They have the best ones. No. Capitol Grill, go to their bar, <gasps> get the blue cheese stuffed olives, Grey Goose martini, dirty, the best ones in town. All right. I'm going to have to go. Yeah. And the next one would be a total opposite side of the spectrum. But if I go on a vacation, I need a Mai Tai. Like Ooh. a good, not fake, like real ingredients, fresh juice, Mai Tai. Yeah. But I understand what you're saying about the fresh juice because I always thought it was like a kind of like a bullshit daiquiri sugar situation until I went to Hawaii and someone made me a fresh Mai Tai. I was like, hold everything. What is this? If you can find like a good rum bar, they will make a very good Mai Tai. So good. Yum. So So good. Okay. Well, speaking of vacation, we want to know your favorite place to travel to. Oh, okay. Well, it used to be New York. Cause I grew up in California and I wanted oh, to live in New York oh, my whole life. Wow. So this is like wow. the first time I've answered this question where I'm like, wait, I live here. <laughs> I live here now. <laughs> um, oh man, I got to, this is going to sound so boring, but I love going to California. <laughs> 
<laughs> to see my That's family. Amazing. Um, it's to me, I, I do love traveling and I love adventure and seeing new things. And that is all wonderful. It is so important to me who I'm with. And that makes such a difference that going to see my family and like going to Disneyland and doing the things that just really, I love being a kid yeah. and you don't live there anymore. So now you appreciate it, you know, exactly. going back. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yes. I'm yeah. the same way with St. Louis. Totally. Um, okay. So where can we find you on social media and to follow you? And also if someone would like to work with you, how would we do that? Twofold. Uh, my Instagram is the right underscore Rachel with a W for right. Uh, and if you want to work together, there's a link in my bio. If you scroll down, it says, want to work together, fill out this form. Um, and I would love to chat with you. Feel free to DM. I I'm on Instagram all the time, which is why I got so scared when I got shadow banned. Um, cause it's my primary way of reaching humans mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. connecting for um, so many of us now. Yeah. Yeah. So also check out my website. It's rachelwrightnyc.com. Um, and be sure to get on my email list there. There's actually a shame-free guide to sex on my website. That's free. Um, and when you get that, so you'll join cool. my email list so that if Instagram does go down, we can still stay in contact. I love Great. that. I can't I wait to be... join and we'll link all these links in the episode notes. Rachel, yes. thank you so much for being such an open book. Ugh. You're so honest and vulnerable. And mm-hmm. it was just so cool to have a real conversation and get some real specific questions yes. answered. You're amazing. You really thank are. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. You guys are incredible. And thank this you. podcast is fantastic. I'm honored to be here. Oh, it's our honor. All right, Rachel, we will talk to you very soon. Sounds great. Bye. 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 Don't forget to follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more content, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Patreon, and give us a follow at Obsessed with the Best Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Hosted on dimlywit.com.